Welcome to the History of California podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. I hope you've been enjoying my conversation series with some of the world's best scholars on these subjects. I have many more to share with you, and I'm excited to post my interview with H.W. Brands at the end of this week about the gold rush. It's truly a special episode and worth listening to. On today's episode, we will cover the gold rush and immigration. Let's get started. We're continuing our journey into the period of the gold rush by talking about who came from where. Immigration has been a fraught topic in our nation really since its inception, even though most of us, except for a small minority of people, have all immigrated here within the last three to four hundred years. A really great book on this topic is The History of Xenophobia by Dr. Erica Lee. really explores the history of xenophobia, immigration, and the constant fight between those two pulling and pushing forces in our country's history. These events have pulled us into conversations that cause us to ultimately misremember history. But this is ultimately not a political podcast, but a historical one. So I'll do my best to stay on task. Nonetheless, we are going to be talking about immigrants for many weeks to come on this podcast. And so not acknowledging the unfortunate and prickly nature to these conversations feels like not acknowledging the 20,000-pound elephant in the room. Nonetheless, we continue. Today, we are going to break down the different groups who came to California using a few different markers, like nationality, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, and more. I'm imploring these categories to really demonstrate how diverse the arrivees to California were because that dovetails nicely into how we think about California as being a diverse state attracting people from all over the world. The first group that we'll talk about is the group that came from China. Like many people around the world, word got to China about the gold in California. The news first arrived in Hong Kong before it spread across the Chinese countryside. In 1851, 25,000 immigrants had arrived from China into California, which, if you remember, was actually larger than the population of all the Californios living in California at the time of the Mexican-American War. And this immigration was not unusual for China. The Chinese had developed a reputation as being open to relocation and transplantation in other countries in the pursuit of opportunities and prosperity. For example, there were Chinese immigrants living in places like Polynesia and places like Peru. They were really all over the world. However, by the time that many of these Chinese immigrants had arrived in California, much of the mother loads or sources of gold had already been explored or claimed, such that there weren't quite the opportunities available that had been sold to them by people that had brought news of California's gold. Moreover, beside mining for gold, there weren't many job opportunities available to Chinese immigrants, in part because of racism and in part because of xenophobia. These immigrants were cut off uh, from the society that they had planted themselves in as well as the society that, left, that they left. 
they had no safety net to support themselves. Many of these immigrants then were left to starve. Most Chinese immigrants would do what they had to do to survive, but would eventually find work later on in our story on the railroads. The next group that's not often talked about were slaves. People from the South often traveled west, taking their slaves with them. Probably one of the more famous stories about slaves tested the idea of the fugitive slave law. In 1849, a man named Charles Perkins set out from Mississippi with three slaves to mine gold. Perkins mined for a few years before returning to the South, leaving the three slaves with a friend who promised the slaves freedom if they mined for him for an additional six months. After they were freed in 1851, these three slaves, Carter Perkins, Robert Perkins, and Sandy Jones, opened a mining supply store and made upwards of $100,000 a year. However, the state legislature passed a law requiring all slaves who entered the state before statehood to return to their masters. The three former slaves were arrested in a raid in the middle of the night and attempted to sue for their freedom and property. The court, however, was packed with decidedly unsympathetic jurists and the former slaves lost their case and were loaded onto a steamship headed back to Mississippi. This is just one story of many and goes to show that while California was a land of opportunity, it also wasn't immune to the larger political forces at work in the United States. While some free African Americans came to California, most African Americans were brought to California as slaves in large numbers to mine the gold fields but also to serve as house servants to wealthy immigrants. One source says that by 1852, there were as many as 300 slaves working in the gold fields. The amount of slaves working in the homes is relatively unknown. And even after laws were passed, maintaining that California was a free state, slavery was still existence in the state due to the large lack of government supervision of the different regions of California. At the end of the day, California is a large state and it's difficult to supervise. But back to free African Americans, gold was reported in many northern newspapers, including many of the abolitionist newspapers that African Americans read. So many of these African Americans who heard about what was happening in the West decided to pack their things and head to California. Probably the most famous of those freed African Americans was Reuben Ruby, who made $600 in just four weeks in the gold mines. However, after the passing of the aforementioned discriminatory laws and increased enforcement of the Fugitive Slave Act, many Africans decided to leave California and go north to the gold mines in Canada particularly in the areas of British Columbia. Some of these African Americans would return after the end of the Civil War, a topic I hope to cover in future episodes on African Americans in the West. Now let's move on to Mormons. In our previous episode, we met Sam Branham, a Mormon shopkeeper and businessman. If you remember, Branham was one of the central forces in starting the gold rush. 
While Branham was an example of a Mormon who went west for opportunity, most Mormons were told to stay in Salt Lake City, where they had decamped and created a city, as Brigham Young, their leader, told them to build Zion, or paradise on earth, there. This likely benefited uh, many Mormons more than if they had gone west. They were able to profit from the trade and commerce along the migration routes to the west. It could be argued that part of what allowed that region to flourish was the economic effects of the massive migration west. However, Brigham Young did send one group of missionaries specifically to search for gold. These immigrants uh, initially didn't have much success, um, but did manage to make about $20,000 worth of gold. These gold pieces were made into coins, and these coins themselves are actually pretty interesting. If you want to Google Mormon gold coins, uh, you'll see some pretty fascinating pictures. However, most of the Mormons that went yet west at Brigham Young's request ultimately left the gold fields to settle in different places in California and in the West. Now, let's move on to Europeans. Many Europeans also accelerated their journeys to America because of the California gold rush. First, let's talk about Germans. The discovery of gold pulled many German immigrants west while they were also being pushed. Many Germans arrived in 1848 after the failed revolutions in Europe. This is really, you know, one of many waves of German immigration to the United States. There was also the colonial wave. Uh, there were articles written in German newspapers about Sutter's Fort and the opportunity and land available in the West. Many Germans came West and brought much of their culture with them, including their religion, music, and literature. Some Germans would strike rich, the most famous being the discovery in 1850 called the Rich Bar, which would produce about $561 million worth of gold, and that's today's dollars. The Irish were also a large part of the immigration to California and the gold fields. While I included Branham is in the section on Mormons, he was also, in fact, Irish. As many of you know, the Irish began to immigrate to the United States in mass because of the potato blight and the starvation and the general poverty that resulted in Ireland during that period. The Irish arrived like the Germans, uh, but were decided less financially prepared to transplant to these new places. However, by 1870, Irish would make up 13% of San Francisco's population. One of the most famous pieces of culture that lasts from this period of Irish immigration to California and the gold rush is a famous poem called Lament of the Irish Gold Hunter. And here it reads, I'm sitting on the stile, Mary, away up in the mines, a-looking out for lumps of gold in pockets all I finds. But the lumps I find is precious small, and very few at that, and I feel that I have been merry, a most almighty flat. There's lots of change up here, Mary, though you'll find none in me, for I spent all that I was worth in coming o'er the sea. And though they says you only got to take your pan and pick, 
A pocket full of gold you'll find isn't quite so thick. I bless you for that nice hung beef you put into my trunk. For when I got it tween my teeth, I felt that I was hunk. I bless you for the sausages that last me so long. Though I'm thankful they're gone. Mary, for they smelt a little strong. I'm very dirty now, Mary, for water's hard to get. Unless it rains, then you're sure of getting pretty wet. For there are no umbrellas here. The rain comes through the roof. And then you'll have a colder cough, unless you're waterproof. I bless you for the bottled beer that you put in my head. To take to keep my spirits up, though I find it, found it very dread. I bless you for the friendly cheese you put into my locker. But twas filled chock full of animals, and won a perfect whopper. I'm bidden to keep you well until the time arrive that I return again to you. If I should be alive, for though there's bread and work for all, I would a great deal rather die in old Ireland once a week than live here altogether. And often right into the woods I'd go if I could get, for here it is so awful hot I'm always in a sweat. For there is neither trees nor shade, and I find but little gold, and so upon the whole I think I'm regularly sold. A beautiful poem that really exemplifies the experience of someone traveling west and some of the hardships they faced in searching to strike it rich in California. To close, let's talk for a moment about Native Americans. Now, while there are some Native Americans that traveled west in search of gold, most of the gold rush's impact on Native Americans could be more accurately described as an exodus, expulsion, or destruction. As many migrated to California, others will be forced out. We will talk more about the genocide of Native Americans during this period in a later episode, but I choose to end with Native Americans here to remember that events can be told from a variety of perspectives. While this was certainly a migration story, it's also a story of the beginning of the end of a Native period in California. The Spanish and Mexican government treated this area as a frontier, mostly, to be left alone. But the mass influx of settlers that we described who came here for a variety of reasons would ultimately accelerate the process of this final expulsion of Native people from California. And while some of them still remain, the state changed because of this giant influx of new people to California. We'll see you next time.